0: To you we're going to dive into our sermon now say amen if you're ready for the word of god all right go with me to the book of second samuel chapter six. Second samuel chapter six we actually talked a little bit about this two weeks ago but let's read this passage of scripture one more time when david becomes king over israel and he wants to bring the ark of the covenant back to israel this is what it says so they brought the ark of the lord and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for somebody say tent and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord and after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty now jump with me to chapter 7 we're going to read a few verses here and uh, now the story picks up where David is king he's sitting in his house they've got the tent they've got the ark it's sitting in the tent and David is in his feelings he's in his thoughts okay Here it goes. And after King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. So the prophet Nathan replied to David, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. But that night the Lord came to the prophet Nathan and said to him, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt until this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I not say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So now then, go tell my servant David... This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture. If you guys didn't know this, David, before he was king, he was a shepherd. Not exactly the type of experience you need to be a king, but he was a shepherd. The Lord Almighty said to him, I took you from the shepherd, from tending the flock, and I appointed you ruler over over my people, Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the, the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And I and I'm sorry and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel now I will give you rest from all your enemies the Lord declares that the Lord himself will establish a house for you and when your days are over and when you rest with your ancestors I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood and I will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought, what the world is waiting for. What the world is waiting for. Let's take a moment and pray for the hearing of God's word. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this moment that we've come and we have gathered, we have felt your presence as we have worshiped you, and now, God, we turn our attention to your word. I pray, God, that as your word goes forward, and as I speak into this audience, this corporate gathering of your church, that you would speak to each person. Individually, I pray that they hear directly from you, that your Holy Spirit would deposit a word on the inside of them, that they would leave this place having heard from you, Father, that they would leave this place knowing that they have been in your presence. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Clap your hands, Lighthouse Church, and you may be seated. Now, I was fortunate enough to grow up, and my childhood was primarily spent in one home. Raise your hands if you just had like pretty much one home throughout all your childhood. Put your hands up loud and proud. All right, cool. Now, where are my people that just moved a lot? Just go ahead. That should be everyone else. alright Liz, let's, you're just being defiant in the tent this morning. So everyone else, you moved a lot. Well, my parents, they, they bought this house and I believe I was in second grade going to third grade and, and then they were there. They were there for 27 years. I believe it's 27 years and that was the house of my childhood. Now, every now and then, my brothers and I, we we still reminisce about the house of our childhood. Sometimes we can get a little we can get a little creepy. And like when we're in ta- when we're in town, we'll just drive by the house. Anyone ever done that, or is that just me and my brothers? Kind of like cruise by. We're like, there's our house, man. They 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 painted. They changed something. They did that. You know what I mean? Like we would we occasionally we do would do that because that's that's our childhood home. Well, this week, I have no idea why my youngest brother, Jordan, he, somebody see him here at church. I have no idea why, but he was on Redfin looking at the house for some reason. Again, I tell you, we're a little creepy, but he, he was just like looking at the house on Redfin. He showed it to us. I like, check out the value of the house and, and look, at the, look at the house. And there was one thing that caught my eye. As a matter of fact, I got the picture. Let me show it to you. This is the childhood home right here. All right. My parents are getting to kick out of this. And that, that red door, that's my mom's red door. She so wanted that red door. My mom just so happens to be here today. That was not planned or coordinated, but she so wanted that red door. And um, uh, just to the right of that front door, there is this cement statue of a lion. Like how appropriate that a house full of boys would have a statue of a lion in the front. I mean, that is just like masculinity right at its apex. Anyway, uh, that, that lion came with the house. And when we left, that lion stayed with the house. And I kid you not, we were looking on Redfin. And and when my brother sent that picture, the only thing that I saw was no one has moved the lion. The lion's still there. I got a brother that now lives in Arizona. He said, I'm taking that lion. The next time I go to San Diego, I am taking that lion. That lion is our childhood. I'm taking it. Um, I don't know if he will, but I wouldn't put it past him. So anyway, that's our childhood home. And I say all that because we have so many memories of that home. We have so many memories of living there, and every now and then we'll retell some of those memories. There's some of you here in the tent. You have memories of that home because you've been my friend that long, and you used to go to that home. But so look at this passage of scripture, and what we're going to dive in today is that, I don't know if you knew this, but God actually has a favorite house too. God has a favorite house. there's, There's one house that was built for him that stood above the others and so I want to talk about that house but first let me show you some of the houses that weren't his favorite okay so let's talk about the first one Moses's tabernacle let me show you a picture of Moses's tabernacle now again last week last Sunday we talked about how God gave Moses the instructions on how to build a tabernacle and Moses came before the people and told them this is how God said to build the tabernacle the tabernacle was a portable structure it's just like a tent a large tent not a small tent, but a large tent, and uh, you'll see in the picture of the tabernacles, there's kind of different levels of access. You have what's called the, the outer courts, and there's different things that I'm not going to get into, but there's like a, a brazen altar. There's a laver. There's all kinds of different things that, that that were part of the tabernacle, and we talked about it last week on how they needed all of these different things to construct the tabernacle, and this was Moses's tabernacle. And whenever Israel would move around the wilderness, they lived in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. They'd have to pack up the tabernacle and it would move. And then when God said, this is where you need to stay, they would pitch the tent all over again. They'd get that tabernacle set up. And this was the place of their worship. And um, in the tabernacle, there was a room called the most holy place. And that's where they put the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that we talked about really early on two weeks ago. And so The Ark of the Covenant stayed in what is called the Most Holy Place, or you might also hear it called the Holy of Holies. And and only one guy could go into that place, the high priest once a year. He would go to where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. So it was very much uh, a a system and a structure and an order, and it was formal. That was Moses' tabernacle. And when Moses finished um, setting up his tabernacle, the Bible reads that he dedicated the tabernacle to the Lord, and when he did... It was incredible because the Bible says that smoke descended, there was cloud, and the Bible says God's glory filled the tabernacle, and that word glory comes from the Hebrew word kavod, which means weight, and the Bible describes the presence of God as weighty, sometimes you're in a worship service, how many ever felt like like a weight come over you in worship, like a good weight, I'm not talking about a bad weight, not like your brother jumped on you, you know, in a rough house, I'm talking about like a good weight, Well, that's what it's like when God's presence rests on you. But the Bible says that the weight rested in the tabernacle so heavy that Moses couldn't even walk in. Moses tried to walk in, fell on his face because of the glory that was there. But funnily enough, that wasn't God's favorite house. Let me show you the next one. Let me show you Solomon's temple. Now, now Solomon's temple was ornate, okay? Solomon's temple was bougie. Everything inside, the tab- everything inside the temple was either made of pure gold or it was plated in gold. So everyone that likes a little bling, you would have loved Solomon's temple. Like you would have walked in there and everything's shiny. It's, it's, it's like the cup was plated in gold the bowl was plated in gold everything was either pure gold or plated in gold and that was Solomon's temple that's the one that David wanted to build but God said you're not going to build it but I'm gonna let your son build it so that's Solomon's temple it's beautiful and um, you know we read about how people from all over the world at the time that Solomon built the temple would come to see the temple because there was all kinds of paganism and other gods around at that time. And they were like, yo, you think this temple's good? Go check out Solomon's temple. Solomon's got the temple. The Bible even records how the queen of Sheba came to see Solomon's temple. It's funny because if you ever read that passage of scripture, the Bible says the queen of Sheba, when she walked into the temple, she passed out. Like, she was like, I'm not playing. It's in the Bible. She like, Passed out because she's like, Oh my God, it's so beautiful. That's how beautiful this temple was. And that was Solomon's temple. And the Bible says when he dedicated the temple, the glory of God filled it. And once again, the Bible says that all the priests that were supposed to be ministering, they fell out because of the Kavad, the glory of God. It filled that house. Now, be that as it may, that still wasn't God's favorite house. Let me show you now God's favorite house. Let me, let me show you David's tent. This is David's tent. They've got nothing but the Ark of the Covenant sitting in a tent that looks like something you can buy at Walmart for $49.99. And when they're rolling back, the price is $44.99. Like, there's nothing special about this tent. And and if you think about what I just showed you earlier with the temple and the tabernacle, the temple and the tabernacle, they had all these different layers of access, and depending on how special you were, you got to go deeper into the temple, you got to go deeper into the tabernacle. How many ever worked at a company like that where your badge only got you into some doors? I I worked in the I worked uh, in the Department of Defense, and so my badge would only let me into some places. Then there were some places you'd scan it, it it's like you can't go in there, you don't have clearance. You're not special enough. You don't have top secret clearance. You can't get in there. So, so I, I kind of get this picture of that because at the tabernacle and at the temple, there were different levels of access. But at the tent, that's all you got. They, they just peeled back the curtains and you looked and there was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the physical presence of God here on this earth. And and the Ark of the Covenant in both the temple and in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant could only be accessed by the high priest. But now with with the, the Ark of the Covenant in the tent, everybody can see it everybody can see what they couldn't see in the tabernacle or in the tent. And here's the reason why. Let me get to preaching now now that I've shown you all the different tents. Here's the thing that made David's tent special. Number one, David's tent was less about ceremony and more about presence. David's tent was less about ceremony and more about presence. You see, David so loved the presence of God. David so loved to be in God's presence, that there, 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 there's a book in your Bible, it's called the Psalms. Funnily enough, it starts with a P. My wife sent me this funny TikTok about that. They were talking about why do these words like Psalms start with the letter P? And the guy called it Psalms. Anyway, um, many of the Psalms are written by David. They were talking about, you know, like the word tsunami. Why does it have a T in front of it? Why does knuckle have a cage? Did you see it or is it just me? All right, anyway, so i'm going for it now um so so david wrote many psalms as a shepherd in the pasture not as a king he did some of those too but where it began for david was really out there in an open field under the stars taking care of the sheep and he loved the presence of god he he loved the presence of god the bible says that that david was a god chaser The Bible says that that David made it a complete priority to lean in to the presence of God. David was hungry for God's presence. And, and, And again, when you look at the tent, there's no ceremony to it. You just peel back the curtains. There's the ark. Enjoy the presence of God. And God seemed to really enjoy that. But, but what happens and, and what I think happens in the church is sometimes we lose our desire for God's presence as we get kind of caught up in the ceremony of church. And, and I don't know if you know this, but we have just enough ceremony in the church to make you fall in love with the church more than being the church. And there's a difference You can love coming to church, singing the songs of the church. You can love being a part of the tree team and and really being a part of everything that this church stands for. And yet you can walk away after the one hour and 10 minute service and cease being the church. And and he's not called you to love the church more than you are to love his presence. But we do this sometimes. Sometimes. We we just love having church. I, I I call this churchy people. You ever met anyone that's like churchy people? You know what I mean? They're like, they're like praise the Lord and cuss you out in the next two sentences with each other. I had a coworker like that. She was, everything she'd say, it, it, it rolls off the tongue a little different in Spanish, but she would always say, if God wills. But some of the things she'd say and then say, if God wills, I'm like, they don't belong together. Like, like she would cuss you out and say if God wills. It's like, it just didn't fit. She was just religious. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a real religious person, but, but there was a disconnect. And what happens is the presence of God ceases to be our priority. So let me ask you, is God's presence still your priority? Is God's presence still your priority? Because if you're not careful, you can get so busy, caught up with the, the what I'm supposed to be as a churchy person, that we actually miss out on getting into the presence of God. And what I love about David's tent is there was no frills. It was just the presence of God. And, and you came not for the priest to conduct the sacrifice, not for the, peace, the priest to go through the rituals, but you came because you really only wanted God's presence, I, I, I wonder what would happen. I'm going to linger here for just a minute. I wonder what would happen if we all at Lighthouse came every single Sunday and all of us collectively came and chased the presence of God. Not, not coming to check the box. Not coming because your husband's making you or your wife is making you. Not coming because you're told to come. Not coming because you somehow made it up into your religious conscience that coming to church on Sunday is going to make your week better. And all of that is true. But, but, but what would happen if we came and we all collectively leaned into the presence of God? What would happen if every Sunday we came in and we said, you know what, coffee's great, hanging out with people's great, I'm going to go enjoy myself, going to sing, going to give, going to do all that, but I'm not leaving unless I have an encounter with God's presence. Because some of us are content to leave the exact same way that we came in and say, I did it, I went to church, but what would happen if we got so hungry that we said, I am not leaving until I feel his presence. I think church would feel a lot differently, and I think we leave this place a lot less churchy. And we will leave this place filled with the power of God because we said, your presence is my priority. Here's one thing I know about God's presence. And Paul talks about this a little bit when he said, I've been apprehended by the thing that I was trying to apprehend. What he was saying is, I was chasing God. And right when I thought I caught him, I realized he was chasing after me. And when you get so hungry for God's presence, you're going to find yourself so hungry for the presence of God that going a day without spending time in his presence is like going a day without drinking water. You're going to find yourself so parched when you start to become presence-minded, when you are so hungry for the presence of God, when you so chase after the presence of God that if you don't have an intimate moment with him in your day, you can't even sleep at night. Just the other day I was... One of those days where I got up and um, it's, it was like my my Sabbath day. And so sometimes on my Sabbath day, I, I try not to be too religious about my devotion. You know what I'm saying? It's supposed to be a day of rest. And so I got up, I slept in, I made my boys pancakes. I'm like, it's my day of rest. and But before I went to bed that night, because I didn't have any quiet time with God in the morning, which which is my thing. Every morning, it's my thing. It's like, I got I, I to gotta spend some time in his presence, you know? I, I was I was like a guy with a bad habit that started getting a nervous twitch, you know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> I haven't read my Bible today yet. That's what happens when his presence becomes your priority. You get so consumed with him that just being away from him is draining. Some of you are at the point like, pray, that's draining. (laughs) But here's what happens. You start doing something that feels a whole lot like discipline, and eventually it becomes a delight. You do something that starts off like discipline, but eventually it becomes your delight. And you can't imagine going a day without being in his presence. All right, let me get off of that. That wasn't my point, but y'all pulled that out of me this morning. All right. So here's another thing about David's tent. Like I said just a minute ago, David's tent had no veil. David's tent had no veil. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. And I, I know that this is 100% everything to do with people. And it's not a God thing. When God gave the commandments to put a veil in the tabernacle, that was not because God wanted it there. It's because the people couldn't stand and look on the presence of God. How do I know that? Because God would invite the people of Israel in the wilderness. He'd say, tell Moses, tell the people to come up to the mountain and to be with me. And they're like, no, 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 Moses, you go and you go talk to God and you tell us what he says. You go up there. And God's like, no, no, you don't understand. I, I, I want an intimate relationship with you. But the people didn't want it. They said, Moses, you go. So then Moses went, right? And what happened? Moses was in the presence of God. And then Moses came down off the mountain. Do you know what they said next? put a veil over your head. Moses, we can't see you because your face is literally shining after having been in the presence of God. I'm in my Bible, it's there. You guys tracking with me? And it sounds a little weird. It's in there, all right? And that's why I believe the veil was first brought out because when Moses came down so full of the glory of God, the people were like, dude, put a veil on. And that's why in the tabernacle, you see the pattern of the veil. But the veil was never God's idea. God said, come up to the mountain and meet with me. They said, no, Moses, you go. And Moses, when you come down, put a veil on because your face is shining. It's freaking everyone out. That's what happens when you don't spend enough time with God. He does something so incredible and you think it's weird. Like you think it's weird when he miraculously heals someone and the doctor said, the doctor gave him a bad report, but God does it anyway. To the world it looks weird, but we ought to be so consumed with the presence of God that we know that that's what God does. And it's not weird. It's just God being God. And sometimes you don't know God. God does something weird for you. And you're like, that's weird. No, it's not weird. It's God. He's unconventional. He does the miraculous. He doesn't move according to man. He moves according to his will. And he accomplishes his will here on this earth. And so David's tent had no veil. As I said, the tabernacle in the temple, there was a veil that separated the most holy place where the ark was. And only the high priest would go there. But in David's tent, pull the curtains back, and there's the ark of the covenant. Just the way that God wanted it. Just the way. Now, I think the only reason David can handle this is because he had already had radical God encounters out in the, out in the fields with his sheep. Let me, let me read to you a scripture here. Let's pull it up in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. When God is getting ready to take the kingdom out of Saul's hands, and he's putting it into David's hands, here's the reason why. But now your kingdom will not endure. This is the prophet talking to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart heart. Let's say that again. After his own heart, David so wanted the heart of God. David was so hungry for the presence of God that he captured God's heart. He captivated God. Did you know you can captivate the heart of God? Did you know that you can captivate the heart of God? Let me give you a bad example, but it's a real example. of all that you parents in this room will be transparent. Okay. Be transparent with your parents. Don't leave me up here like I'm a bad parent all by myself. But what do you do when your kid does something before you ask? What do you do with your kid when they do it the right way before you ask them to do it? Doesn't it captivate you? Come on now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You got that one kid that you've got to ask them to do it so many different ways, but then you get in the kid that just does it. I'm okay, gonna Tell you a quick little story. Uh, one time, one of my kids, I won't, I won't tell you his name, when my kids was acting up, and so my wife made him write a note. You know what I mean? Like, he had to 15 times say, I will not talk back to mom. I will not talk back to He did one of those notes. Y'all know what I'm talking about, parents? <laughs> I will not talk back to mom. Well, he figured out that notes were quickly the way into his mom's heart, so that little boy started writing notes and just leaving it for his mom. And the other day, he, he kind of popped off to Joanna again, and she didn't tell him to write the note. She didn't ask him to do that but he went into his room and he wrote a little note and he came and he left it right by her sink and when she got there she's like did you tell him to write this i had nothing to do and it's weird because she's like i'm mad but i'm but i'm so happy (laughs) i'm I'm disappointed in his behavior but he wrote a note nobody even asked him to do that you guys know what i'm talking about And, and so our children have a way of captivating us don't they they do they do one more quick story about my kids I took, my son, I took my son to uh, go watch the Arizona Cardinals. He's a big Kyler Murray fan. So last year for his birthday, I said, we're going to go watch an Arizona Cardinals game. And um, so we made the drive out there to Arizona. And, and I'll never forget that when we got to the hotel, because, you know, that sucker knocked out. There's daddy driving six hours to get there, you know what I'm saying, in Arizona, into that nasty heat, you know. But I love my boy. And <laughs> we get to the hotel, and, and he's knocked out. And I'm like, dude, wake up. We're here at the hotel. He gets up, huh? He sees the hotel, and then he lunges over. He's only done this like once in his life. Lunges over, and he gives me a hug. He's like, "Thank you, Daddy. I love you. Thank you for doing this for me." You know what I'm talking about? And it's just like he just—you know—they just get you around their finger at that point. You're like, "You're done. You're done. Stick a fork in you. You're done." And he had one of those moments. And I think, I think really that this is what it was like with God and David. I think this is what it was like with God and David because David so loved God that while he was out there taking care of the sheep. God's like, you're my next king. Keep in mind, that's not exactly the school that you send aspiring kings. A a person who's supposed to be king would be taught would be taught how to fight. He would have to become a man of war. He would have to become a man of strategy. They'd probably sit him underneath some of the wisest teachers so that he can learn from them. You want your king smart? You want your king able to understand war? You probably want him handsome too, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, those are the things you want out of a king. And David's just taking care of the sheep. Doing like the least likely thing. And, and, and in this time in history and in this culture, the job of the shepherd was one of the lowliest jobs you could do in this culture. Because when you're out there with the sheep, it stunk. It was a thankless job, typically a job of a servant. And yet David is out there taking care of the sheep, hungry for the presence of God. And God says, there's my next king right there. That's why we've got to be people of his presence. As a matter of fact, the prophet reminds him. We read this earlier, but I'm going to read it one more time. This is what the prophet tells him when when he tells him, don't build the ark. He says, now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel and I've been with you wherever you've gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you now I'm going to make your name great like the names of the greatest men on the earth write this down David so desired God's presence that it led him from the pastures to the palace David so desired the presence of God that it led him from the pastures to the palace god found the most unlikely person promoted him and put him in a room that his upbringing said he wasn't ready for that his training said he wasn't ready for i mean remember when they found saul the bible says that when they made saul the first king over israel this dude was literally taller than everyone the bible says he stood head and shoulders over everyone so because the guy was tall the guy was handsome they said that's our king David's out there taking care of the sheep, and when the prophet came to his father and said, Jesse, one of your kids is going to be the next king, his father doesn't even tell Jesse about David. That's how little his dad thought about him. He brought out all these kids, seven kids, and then the prophet's like, none of these boys are it. Don't you have any more kids? Yeah, I got one more. Parents, don't you ever say that about your kids. Yeah, I got one more. But, you know, he's typically out there playing with his heart, writing poetry, and taking care of the sheep. He ain't the king. Jesse, and then the prophet tells Jesse, would you please bring that boy out here? David, come, David comes to the room, and God tells the prophet right there in that moment, Samuel, get up and pour oil on that kid. That's the next king over Israel. Because when you are hungry for the presence of God, there is no limit to the doors that God will open up for your life. There's no limit to the doors that God will open up for your life. Some of the most successful people in this world, you wouldn't know it, but their faith is so strong. They might not write about that in Forbes magazine, but some of the most successful people in this world have a connection with God, and they know that it is God that has provided for them. And the same way, when you are hungry for God's presence and when you are hungry for God, he will open up doors for you that you can't even imagine he'd open, but he does that. Why? Because he's looking for people that have a heart after his heart. He's looking for people to bless. Come on, tell your neighbor that. He's looking for people to bless. I really believe that. I really believe that. Now, here's my last thing, and I'm coming to a close. The last thing is David's tent was a place of continual worship. The Bible says, the Bible says that David got the ark, put it in the tent, told the prophet, Hey, I'd I'd like to build a temple. Prophet's like, No, you're not going to do that. Your kid's going to do that. David gets all up in his feelings. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer and God said no? And you got in your feelings about it? Y'all know that God will tell you no, right? I know you don't want to hear that. I know that's not the American prosperity gospel. But God will tell you no sometimes, okay? And I don't care how much offering you put in the basket. God will still tell you no. <laughs> David gets in his feelings, so he goes to pray. And I love David because, like, he has such a heart after God. He just tells God, well, if you won't let me build it, can I at least get the supplies ready? <laughs> God said, go ahead, get the supplies ready. So he gets the supplies ready for his son. But David's tent, they're at that tent. They worshiped God around the clock. It was different than the tabernacle and it was different than the temple where there were business hours. (laughs) At the tent, there were no business hours. People at all hours of the day would come to worship by David's tent because of the access that David's tent gave them. They can see the ark that their parents never saw. I want you to catch this. This is important. Lean in here. They would their grandparents wanted to see the ark and they died and they didn't see the ark but now grandson gets to see it grandson, granddaughter gets to see the ark they get to experience a move of God that generations before them didn't have access to and so they they, draw, they open up the tent and, and now they can't touch it y'all know about what happened to that guy Uza who touched it but they get close they get real close and the Bible says that this would happen at all hours of the night so much so that David wrote a psalm about this Bible. I get this in my head that David was probably up one night, couldn't sleep. was having a hard time sleeping. Kind of like some of you. But instead of watching funny cat videos and going to TikTok, he decided to look outside his window. (laughs) He looks outside his window and he can see the tent. And he can see people worshiping in the middle of the night in front of the tent. He wrote this psalm, Psalm 134.1. It says, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the lord there was something special about david's tent where people worship the god where they worship the lord at all times i think this is what led him to write psalm 34:1, i will bless the lord at all times and his praise shall continually somebody say continually continually be in my life david so was hungry for god's presence that david's tent was a place of continual worship and i believe god wants to see continual worship out of your life no, I'm not saying come down to the tent tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. and fling these things open and start worshiping. <laughs> what I'm saying is you've got to find a way to abide in the presence of God throughout your day. You've got to find a way to live in rhythm and, and in step together with the presence of God. I wrote down this long statement. I'll read it to you. It's going to come up. We can abide in God's presence and live our lives in such a way that we invite him into our everyday, the coming and going of our day, And we are taking a posture of blessing the Lord at all times. Don't don't come in here and start opening up this tent in the middle of the night, okay? We got cameras in here. Someone might come after you, okay? That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is having a posture that's towards God, that we invite him into the minutiae of our day. You do know that God wants the minutiae of your life, right? I learned that. So many times I thought, there's what God wants, and then there's the rest of my day. Some of you do the same thing. God wants my 70 minutes on Sunday, but God wants all the hours every day. He wants the 167 hours that you are not here on Sunday. He wants those too. And how do you do that? You just simply invite him into your life and you invite him into your day and you say, God, would you abide with me? I know sometimes when you're cooking for your kids in the morning and then for lunch and then for dinner, it feels like, God, what do you possibly want to do with, but he wants to be there with you. He wants his spirit to abide in your home. I know sometimes when you're on the job, you would probably think to yourself, there's nothing that God would possibly want to do with my day. But he does. He wants to abide with you. This is what it means to bless the Lord at all times. He wants to abide with you. And so when you have a heart for God, when there's no separation between you and his presence, and when you lean into his presence, and when you make his presence a priority, you're going to encounter God in ways that you've never encountered him before. And I'm going to close with this. Some of you guys might be thinking, okay, Pastor Josh, I get it. David's tent, it was like the tiny house. That's kind of cool. (laughs) David's tent, it's kind of shabby chic. That's cool. I get it. But what makes that God's favorite house? Well, let's read the book of Acts chapter 15. When they start quoting the prophet Amos, they start talking about when God is going to return for his church. And we read in Acts chapter 15, 16, this. After this, I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. Not Moses' tabernacle, not Solomon's temple, but I will rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. David's tent was God's favorite house. He he liked the tabernacle of Moses. He liked Solomon's temple david's tent the place was special david's tent represented people who were hungry for god david's tent was a place of continual worship david's tent was a place where there was nothing that got in the way of them and his presence that was david's tent and if you're wondering what does that have to do with this world pastor joshua you said what the world is waiting for this sounds like we're just trying to get people all fired up for god's presence but what does this have to do with the world I'm so glad that you didn't ask what you let me ask on your behalf. You got to go to the next verse. This is why you got to read the Bible in context before and after. Because in verse 17, here's the reason why he says, I want to rebuild David's tent. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Just right there. So that the rest of mankind would seek the Lord. He said, There's something powerful that happens when the church is consumed with my presence. And when they are consumed with my presence, there is a level of attraction on their life that people who are far from God want what you have. When you are a person of God's presence, they're going to be like, Dude, what are you drinking? can you turn me on to what you are on there's something different about you there's a glow about you there's an energy you know they don't know the words for it right so they just say there's an energy about you it's not that when you are so consumed with the presence of God when you are so filled with his spirit when you are a person that hungers after the presence of God there's an attraction that begins to happen do you want to know what this this world needs less of? This world needs less of the church talking to them and more of the church just living out what God has called us to live out. So much more is caught than what is taught. And so many times we're like, world... Do as I say, but not as I do. And God is saying, when will you get your life congruent with what you're saying? And when what you're doing matches what you're saying, it's going to become an irresistible force. And this world is going to run to me. There's not going to be enough churches to house what I will do in that time. He said this, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you would have love for one another. He said, we've got to get this love thing figured out. We've got to get this presence thing figured out. And when we do, the world's going to come looking. The world's going to come looking. And that's when you know it's God. That's when you know it's not your Instagram algorithm. That's when you know it's not your sponsored ads. That's when you know it's not your latest marketing campaign. But it's God bringing people to the house because the house is on fire. It's like the old English preacher said. Set a man on fire and the world will come and watch him burn. (laughs) In the same way when we are spiritually set on fire, the world will come and watch us burn. They, They want what we have. But you have got to put that on display. Right there we are. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for everyone that is here. I thank you for what you're doing. Even now, God, I just begin to sense your spirit moving Even now, Father, I sense your presence beginning to fall in this place. God, I pray that we would be people who are hungry for your presence. I pray that we would be people who are consumed with catching your heart, God. The crazy thing is, God, is that while we already have your heart, many of us don't act like it. The crazy thing is, God, is that even though we have your attention, you don't have ours. And, and, and as your people and as your church we get so fickle we get so so, so, so preoccupied and, and we get so we get pulled in so many directions God where we're just getting further and further from you and oftentimes, our enemy doesn't need the church to fall away it just needs the church to get distracted and I just think there's so many things that are out for our attention and they're pulling us away that we begin to lose your presence in it all so right now in your name, Lord God, I just pray that we would be so hungry for you. That we would enter into a new covenant with you today, right now, Father. That, that, that we wouldn't begin to make a covenant. That we would once again chase your presence. That, that, we would, that we would repent of the things that have so distracted us from you. We're allowing things to distract us from you, God. And that's the greater sin, Father, than out there being than living in a moral life. We're just simply distracted. God, I pray that we would put those things to a side and be people that chase after your heart, people that chase after your presence. God, would you do that here today? Would you open up a, thung, a hunger and a thirst? In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let's stand to our feet as our worship team begins to sing just this very appropriate line that says, God, I need you now. Come on, would you make that your prayer? Not your song, but your prayer. Come on, raise those hands. And just begin to tell them, God, I need you.